Welcome to Mint, the podcast exploring the Web3 creator economy. I'm your host, Adam Levy, and every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll be showing you what's happening at the corner where crypto meets creators by interviewing Web3's top creative entrepreneurs, collectors, and founders. This episode is brought to you by the composable and decentralized social graph Lens Protocol, who's ready for you to build on so that you can focus on creating a great experience, not scaling your users. Guys, I've talked about this on the podcast before. We as creators need to break through a new paradigm of social networking apps that we control rather than them controlling us. Lens Protocol isn't a social media app. It's designed to let Web3 social apps bloom. Own your content, own your social graph, own your data. Lens Protocol is the last social media handle you'll ever have to create. This episode welcomes Black Dave, the Web3 native music artist, creative thinker, and self-proclaimed genius. From dropping free NFTs to setting records across crypto Twitter, I wish I had him on the podcast sooner. We had an awesome conversation on all things music NFTs, the early days of Clubhouse, creating content, building communities, designing experiences for collectors, and so much more. I hope you guys enjoy our conversation. Black Dave, the one and only. Welcome to Mint. What's going on, man? Hey, man. I'm uh, I'm at my girlfriend's house. She's watching Industry, and I'm chilling. How are you? I'm feeling good. I'm doing I'm doing well. Uh, it's Wednesday, September 21st. This is the first episode we're recording together. I feel like it's long overdue. Um, I'm a collector of yours across the different music NFTs that you've issued, um, and sort of just been like watching what you've been doing. So I think a good place to start, Black Dave, is who are you, man? What does the world need to know about you? Um, and more specifically, how'd you get your start into Web3? Uh, so I normally say, <laughs> my name's Dave, Black Dave in the streets. Um, I got, I've been making music uh, in varying forms for the last 20 years. Um, nothing crazy. I don't have some, like, I went on tour with this person kind of story, but I've been making music just, um, with my friends in Charleston where I live. I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, I got started in web three at the end of 2020. Um, my story's similar to a lot of people. It just happened earlier. Um, I was on Clubhouse. Someone was showing people how to make NFTs. Um, it was Sirsu, in case you know Sirsu. Um, and he was doing a five-day course uh, with – there were like a few OGs in there. Uh, Sean, I art sometimes. Sophie Sturdivant and his girlfriend was in there. There weren't a lot of people. There's like, like six or seven of us learning how to make NFTs at this time. And and I started minting NFTs then. My first, my first maybe 15 or so NFTs weren't actually music. They were all images. And I started minting music mm. in March of 2021, and then from there I went full steam on music. But you've been you've been a music artist for a minute now, right? Yes, yes. Uh, I started out playing bass in punk and hardcore bands, which is why my music has like screaming and okay. why my music has guitars. Is because like I I've been trying to think a lot more about how to fuse all of my interests into one thing. And so that's like what my musical goal and constant chase is. Mm. How would you explain like your creative side to someone who's not familiar with your work? Because I would consider you not all over the place, but like artistically all over the place, which I really mm. appreciate. How would you sort of explain it to someone um, that isn't maybe familiar with your work? The I tell people my 
goal, like, is like if Virgil Abloh was a rapper who watched anime. Um, my whole thing is that I don't want to be limited to a specific media. I really just want to be known for like my tastes and, um, and like the quality of work and the quality of ideas. So normally I, I tell people that like I'm an all around creative person, or I'll say a lot of times that I'm a creative director, but I like to just say I'm a creative person, uh, working at the intersection of anime, streetwear, rap music, sneakers, and fashion. Walk me, walk me through more of like the early days of Clubhouse. Um, because I think that was like an iconic moment for a lot of people who who kind of came across NFTs in that era. And Clubhouse set the tone for a lot of new projects, a lot of um, like icons that maybe have set the tone for, uh, yeah, like the standards of how to do drops, how to design websites, etc. And I remember all these like Clubhouse spaces sort of activated that. And considering you came into crypto through Clubhouse and you didn't start with music, you started with images. I think that's that's super interesting. Can you can you talk more about that? Yeah, so um, in 2019, I had quit my job and decided that I was going to try to find a way to be a creative person for money as opposed to working for somebody else for money. And so when 2020 had started, I decided I was going to make more music. Uh, and so I was making a three-song EP every month, and I was making a beat every day and uploading it and like putting it on my beat store. And so. When it got time to get into uh, like crypto, Web3, et cetera, I was already into crypto. I'd bought my first crypto in like 2017 with everybody else. And um, and one of my friends early in the year was trying to get me into NFTs. He was like, you could totally do this. And I was like, oh, I don't do 3D art. And that was pretty much the end of the conversation. And, um, and so <laughs> at the end of it, at the end of the year, I was going through the course and I minted uh, a cover that I didn't use for one of my EPs as my first NFT. Um, it was like December 19th or 20th, okay. right before Christmas. And um, and it was a small clubhouse room. You know, Lady Phoenix, I think, like, is one of the big OGs who was on clubhouse at the time. Seriously, was a super OG. Right. Israel. Um, there was Casimir. There were like a handful of folks. And... and um, at that time, There's I a think ton. There's a ton. Yeah, but at that time, there were a lot. I think the early, early, earliest conversations I remember were all led by Black people, which was kind of funny to think about now, um, just because of like so much of the different race related things that happened throughout the space. But like, um, that was really interesting. And uh, I just met Lady Phoenix in New York um, at NFT NYC. She's amazing. Mm. Um, I've met Sirsu before that at something i don't know which one somewhere i met him i've met all the people i named but um i i'd minted an image i didn't sell it for about a month and a half so what happened was through that i ended up teaching other people about nfts uh i joined the like clubhouse crew nfts.tips if you remember that if you were around for mm -hmm. that um so i joined that crew a little bit after they started um, and we would just onboard people for like 18 hours a day. Like literally, like I would sit probably for like six or seven hours wow. at a time and when onboard people and we would just rotate like the like core team, quote unquote. And, and from there, we just mm -hmm. onboarded so many people. Um, 
I you think about like the um like the team for like Oni Force, like all of them were like pretty much onboarded by NFT's tips, like the the OG team. I know they're like going through it as a project, but like that team, mm-hmm. um, when Board Ape Yacht Club minted, it was still Clubhouse time. Um, so all the rooms are happening on there. Um, part of the reason that Super Yeti is such like a meme is because that was Clubhouse time. Um, just a, a bunch mm-hmm. of stuff from that era. And then like something that I think is a little bit different now that was not, that was like, um, that was, that's, it was, it's different now, but was really, I think, important then was like the power of a crypto punk and owning a crypto punk in like early 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan Henna was like the only person we all knew who had a crypto punk at the time. And he was one of the people who was helping onboard tons and tons of folks. And like, I would spend a lot of time like co hosting rooms with Alan, which, um, which I think mm-hmm. really informed like a lot of how I view the space because like he's such a deep thinker in general and was already working in crypto and like was already an engineer and all that stuff. So, um, hearing him describe the space versus hearing somebody who's natively an artist describe the space, I think really informed how I moved and thought. How would you sort of, um, Explain to someone who wasn't around the early like clubhouse days, the influence that black culture had on mainstream adoption. How would you sort of explain that narrative and kind of even reference examples? I think the, the easiest example, especially for like clubhouse in particular was clubhouse really took off when Atlanta rap music showed up on the app. So I got on clubhouse in November of 2020, which was still far before a lot of people. And I got one of my friends on, uh, before me because he like he made more he he was further along in the music journey than I am um and so I was like yo you should go on clubhouse I know your manager lives in Atlanta uh let's see if he can get somebody to get you on and so he ended up getting on like a month and a half before me and um Meezy, who's 21 Savages manager, had like a really booming club on there. Um Sunny Digital had a really booming club on there. And then what happened was um Clubhouse sort of was, for lack of a, I didn't, I remember tweeting like, where are all the white people on Clubhouse at a point? And um, obviously they're all there, but um, <laughs> the, the space, it was just such a different like space and territory. I think once like Web3, Web3 was kind of that thing that I think um, allowed race like, to sort of be obfuscated a little bit and then all sorts of people started joining but i think when people started joining they also started creating and looking for communities like within their identity so like when i had joined um there was a cohort called one off um and they had a crypto voxels show that was all black nfts like nfts by black artists the nfts weren't black but yeah and um and so that was like kind of one of my early entrances into it. And so through that and then through, um, float, which is like a music based collective or music based project. Um, founder of that's black. Um, lady Phoenix, of course. Um, you know, Alan. Um, and then black NFT art. Um, 
the community, that community, Uma Diamond, et cetera, et cetera, popped up around that time. And so there were a lot of like, I think the first spaces that really catered towards uh, certain demographics of people were all the black spaces. And then, and then you started to see the women in NFTs. And then you started to see, um, you know, people in Asia, especially in NFTs. And, um, even at that point in time, we were like, um, Mm. through nfts tips people were like translating for other people and so we were teaching people about nfts in another language even through clubhouse because i think uh i want to say like japan had started onboarding maybe um and so that that kind of happened okay so at what point did you sort of get involved on the music nft front because you started with uh with more of like digital art right Mm -hmm. yes i'm curious around the the time like the, the year right so was it like 2020, 2019, or more of like 2021? It was 2021 for sure. I So my very first collection, so I had done a whole collection before I'd done music. The collection was called Flips. It's like, if you just search Flips on OpenSea, you'll find it. But they were all logo flips of just popular brands. And they would just say like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Doge, etc. And what happened was I did that. And then I remember someone being like, oh, these are just like curio cards. And then I was like, shit. And then I like, I still do the, I still do them, but like I do them far less just because I know that there's like a project that kind of already pushed the logo flip narrative. For me, um, I run a brand in Charleston or I ran a brand in Charleston called Charleston Hype, which essentially did the exact same thing, but I would flip logos of companies and they would say Charleston instead. So like, um, I had a Nike tee, for instance, and mm. people, it said Charleston and like in big cities, Nike does collaboration shirts, like, or they do city shirts, but people would go to the Nike store and be like, I saw a Charleston Nike tee. Can I get that? And, um, people would be like, Oh no, that's not here. And like, the idea was that like, it was like tourist tees for locals. And, um, and I kind of mm. feel, felt the same way about the project. Um, the flips project was, it was like, tourist tees for locals or tourist designs for locals where like if you knew about the cryptocurrencies you would get it but if you knew about the brands you would also want to get it because of the brands associated um so like it was it was a nod to my streetwear Mm -hmm. and then and then in march i think i mentioned my first music project and i what i did with that i think is kind of unique even still is i'd minted a collection of 2d artworks a collection of 3d artworks and then just like the straight up audio file like with the cover art and um i did that and every all the unlockable content was um was a download link to the song so it was just an ipfs link hash i guess i should say <laughs> um to the song and that was like my first NFT drop. And because I was doing so much onboarding and stuff through NFTs tips, I decided to do like a, a, you know, clubhouse drop room. And I, I think I sold out like that night of that whole project, which was really sick. You know, it's cool just hearing you say this story in like walk, walking me through your process and the details that went into sort of creating the drop using IPFS to sort of figuring out what the dynamic would be between doing uh like minting the audio file separately and whatnot like it seems so complex on the surface yet it also seems like you know exactly what you're doing um and what's interesting is that a lot of creators that you talk to they're just like sort of focused on just like minting the music nft Mm -hmm. but this is also why you're here today like why why we why i wanted to feature you is because like i feel like you 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 think so critically and so in depth on how you're going to construct the drop and you also know some of the tech stack and infrastructure (laughs) that's related to kind of minting and bringing these these pieces to life 
You know, uh, so I think lazy minting on OpenSea might have happened December 29th. So, like, my very first NFT was on Rarible. I paid full gas. It might have been, like, $4 at the time. And I know, like, right now, you know, Ethereum's low, transactions are low, so gas is low as well. But, like, that, it was so cheap to do. And I already had crypto from buying in 2017 that I just, it was, like, a no-brainer for me. But then, like, you know, I said earlier, like, the whole, like, Virgil Abloh kind of reference, I feel like, when you design something and when you create something, you, the details are what really matters. I, I like to say that luxury is in the details. I, um, like one of my recent cars, I go through cars like hotcakes, I guess. Um, I had a, I had a BMW, a 323i. It was a, a 2001. It's like the last year they did the 323 series. And, um, and I remember when I got it, I would crank the car and the radio wouldn't turn off while the car cranked. So, you know, like most cars, when you crank the car, the radio turns off and then it turns back on when your car cranks up all the way. Um, my BMW didn't do that. And I was like, wow. And, and like that sort of clicked to me that like all the best parts of things are in the details. Um, even like more BMW stuff, like under my passenger seat, there was a whole first aid kit. You know, and so it was just like, just like little things that would make it better. You know, when you switch lanes, it would automatically turn the signal light off. And like in 2001, that was crazy. You know, like just little, little stuff like that is really what makes things special. And so like, I always wanted to have attention to detail and I always wanted to like, um, create stuff that like, resonated with me because even like that first song was all anime themed i used a sample from anime my beat tag is anime mm -hmm. um a lot of the images i was using were anime uh but then like trying to make it more like considered i guess i think considered is probably the best word to explain like how i wanted to do things and so um and then like you said on the tech stack end right like i think my number one question this whole time has always been why does this need to be an NFT and why, why can't this exist in a traditional sense? And, um, and so that's what I'm always like pushing for through every project I do. So that, that ended up being the first, uh, music NFT. Um, what was the next one? Like walk me through the, the history okay. of Black Dave and sort of how you curated your drops, uh, shortly after. So the next NFT, one thing that's crazy about the first NFT drop that I failed at, I was learning Unreal Engine at the time and I was trying to build a little metaverse that was an art gallery and then upload it to my website. I failed. I, I didn't sleep for a lot of days. I had burnout. And then in July, I, was it July? Maybe June, the end of June, I had minted my second collection of works. And this time I minted two songs and then I minted a bunch of 2D artworks, some 3D artworks, and then the cover arts. What I did this time was I created a special edition cover for the songs. And this is my second drop. I did a special edition cover for the songs. Everybody who had my first song got that for free. So I was already like doing versions of airdropping. And then, um, the 25 editions of each song I had available um, as NFTs. And the special thing about this drop was I had a token that was called the Black Day Verse token. And what that token was is whoever owned that token can get a rap verse from me whenever they want. Um, I remember like thinking about like another like why NFTs, why Web3 and thinking about like, 
when I'm like one of the biggest artists in the world and uh and it's really hard to get a rap verse from me somebody who bought this token really early still has access to me through that token and like i was thinking about this idea of like a service-based nft um so the person who won it um was the only person who bid on it um and he was like i bid on it to start the auction but i thought this was a genius idea and that it would sell for a lot of money and so um they paid uh, 0.3 Ethereum, which was around $1,000 at the time. Um, and and I, I think that's going to be a great deal in the future. But I think, like, more than anything, it opened up the idea of, like, services rendered by NFT ownership. So, like... Um, I don't. I had. Right. I had a Discord back then, but I don't think my Discord was token gated. My Discord's still not token gated, but I've token gated like uh, channels, but it's like open to all. And um, but like even that like mm-hmm. is a service, right? Discord access is a service, and so like just thinking about all the different services I could do. So I did two songs. I had airdropped all my previous collectors um, a special edition version of the song, and then I had released two two new songs and did the verse token. So that was my second music NFT drop. And that was still on OpenSea. Like both every drop, everything I did so far up to this point was on OpenSea, except my very first NFT, which was on Rarible. And it was mostly because uh, Lazy Minting came to be. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's just run that. Um, so that was my second drop. Right. But, and then and then Sound.xyz comes into the picture. Yep. Sound, catalog. Uh, I minted on catalog first um, before Sound. And... I minted on catalog mm. in November of 2021 and I minted a song called sharp. And I feel like every story has like some obnoxious, like this is what NFTs can do thing to it. <laughs> but like I minted that song sharp and it was priced at three Ethereum. Uh, party bid was like a big thing at the time, especially for people making rap music. We were all not, we were all, a lot of people were like minting music videos and selling them for one Ethereum or two Ethereum, but getting the whole community to buy in on it. Community ownership is like definitely one of those things that I think Web3 enables really well. So what I did was Sharp was a three Ethereum priced NFT and I set it up as a party bid. 42 people got in on it. And from there, I gave governing power of the song to the collectors. So everyone who bought in a fraction of the NFT, I gave them governing ability. The NFT didn't sell in total for about two months. I was going on this crazy like run of like Twitter threads, Twitter spaces, clubhouse rooms, like just like explaining the gospel of like why this NFT matters, <laughs> why I matter, like making like nft like music nft hot takes which is still like a thing that i do um and and (laughs) the nft sold in january so like i think at the beginning of january it sold the same day i'd gotten on the 22 artists to watch in 2022 list by nft now so like i got on that list um the same day the nft sold i was doing a space called why isn't your nft selling where people would come in and talk to me about why their nfts weren't selling and we would just talk about it and at the end of the space somebody pretty much like paid the whole like last one eth that was remaining so i was at like 2.1 out of three and at the end of the space um eric spivak was like 
yo, I just, I just ran up the last point nine. The NFT's done. And I was like, oh shit. And so, uh, 42 people in total. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was a crazy, like, cause he was like, he was like, so he was like, did you notice you got on this list? And I was like, no, not until after the room. And then, um, the guy who collected the verse token, he hits me up every so often with like different ideas about like what he could do where he just wants to talk about whatever. And he was like, he was like, did this sell because you got on the list? And I was like, no, the list came out after I sold. And so it was like crazy timing because maybe if that didn't happen, it would have ended up selling through like me getting that notoriety of being on the NFT now list, which I also made it on the NFT 100 um, in 2021, which was six. So, or 2022, I guess. Wild, wild. You know, earlier in the, in the story, you sort of talked about this concept of community ownership. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm curious why why you decided to use that keyword and what that sort of means in the grand scheme of things as you're building communities and building like a fan base, a collector base in crypto. Like why is community ownership so important? I think like the thing about communities owning things is in a lot of ways, communities haven't really had an opportunity to own something together. Um, this is going to be like a probably reach of a metaphor, but I... I live in Charleston and I live on land that's owned by my family and my aunt is my neighbor and I live with my mom and uh, my great aunt's my neighbor and I live with my mom and my aunt, her sister. And my grandma's going to build a house in front of us and my sister might build a house beside us and I might build a house somewhere. And like the idea that like my family as the community has this opportunity to own land provides a lot of new opportunities for us, but also um, allows us to create things we couldn't create before. I think with Web3, um, when communities own things, communities can benefit from owning a thing. So like even with Sharp, the the whole idea of this project was that we would do governing things around the song. So like uh, stuff like the music video treatment, stuff like marketing, stuff like, you know, the budget for the song, stuff like, you know, whatever. And And like when the song ended up going crazy in whatever form it did, we could sell the NFT and the community that supported me now got a return on their support. And, um, and I think that's something that's really special about communities owning thing is that if we all own something, we all can benefit from the ownership either, um, through participating in whatever the thing is that we get by owning it or participating in the sale of that thing. And because we're all owners, we all get a benefit from the sale of that thing. That makes sense. I think a lot of creators still don't understand the, the beauty and the value behind ownership, let alone like majority of people that exist on this planet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, NFTs might have maybe educated people on, on what the value of ownership really means and what you can do once you own something. Uh, but I think it, it kind of comes down to like being financially literate to an extent, mm-hmm. right? Or just being literate in general of why it's better to own versus rent. Yes. Um, would you would you agree? Would you disagree? What do you think about that? I think it it depends, right? Like there there are massively rich people who say don't own things because as soon as you own something, it's worth less, and they're like you just lost money because like driving a car off the lot, you know, depreciates the price of the car by a bunch as soon as you get off the lot. I think that this is different. I think digital assets don't depreciate and in a lot of ways only appreciate especially when you factor in the blockchain and like provenance and like trackable ownership um 
things really, in a lot of cases, can only go up in value if um, if shepherded the right way. Uh, I when I was talking about the verse token, and I made the the comment about being the greatest artist in the world, and you know what I'm doing being worth a bunch of money. Um, if a community had owned that token, a community could benefit from the sale of that token to a record label or to a rapper, or the community could benefit from, you know, getting one of their friends a song with me. And maybe it's the same thing as getting a Drake verse, you know, in 2022. Um, mm-hmm. I think like, you know, owning things and not only owning things, but understanding that there's power to ownership and that especially using this tech, you can um, enable special things through that ownership is the thing. Um, you know, I I know we're like going through my journey, but one of the most recent NFTs that I dropped, I had split the sale of that NFT with all of my collectors. It's like the, I, I want to say it is the, and I hate using superlatives like this, but the largest um, on-chain split for an NFT sale. It's 159 wallets and all 159 people or wallets involved in this get a percentage of the sale of this NFT in varying amounts. And so just by being an owner in something that like, you know, links back to me, you receive benefit through ownership. I think digital ownership is so, so different. Um, I was on a call today and someone used the phrase digital supply chain. And I thought that that was really interesting. And I think that there are all these like mm. digital forms of things that are natively physical that we're coming to terms with. And because they're digital, they have different properties. And we really need to be aware of what those properties are and what those properties mean. And, um, and so I think owning's far more important. I do think that digital renting you know, we've been doing that with, um, like renting movies, you know, through like Apple TV and stuff like that. I think that that is useful because in a lot of ways, that's utility, right? Like the utility of owning the token that represents that you rented this movie is that you can watch the movie. And once you start the movie, you have 24 hours to finish the movie. Um, I think that that's really sick. And, um, and so digital ownership through, uh, Digital ownership, I think, matters most when utility is applied or use case or experience or whatever. I try not to use the word utility. I like to use the word mm. experience. Okay. Let's talk about more uh, rent-based NFTs for the music sector. What do you think are some interesting experiences that could be created around uh, renting NFTs? I think on the music sense, a lot of it's going to be tied to things like um, access to, I think a lot about seasons and i know like seasons is normally like a fashion or a television thing but i think a lot about seasons of music especially as we move or we have moved more into a singles driven economy for music and a lot less of an album driven economy for music especially for independent and smaller artists um you know every every single is a chance at bat in a sense I think being able to be involved in different seasons of artists is really interesting. I know that's not quite a rental, but if you think about something being seasonal, then it runs out. Um, something that's been on my mind a lot is creating work in seasons and allowing people access to my work for that season. And then if you didn't participate in that season, then um, the only thing that exists for you to do is get it on the secondary market. It's to me a lot like streetwear. You know, when 
when Supreme drops and you don't get the Supreme item, you got to go on StockX or eBay or Grail to get it. And I think um, this is kind of the same thing where you have an NFT. The NFT is usable for a period of time, which would be the season. You can collect work from that artist or you receive work from that artist during that season. And then um, the season ends and all the work that you've received during that season um, is that's just the work. And then you need to get a new token for the next season. I think something similar is like, um, I wish I could remember the name when Moonbirds does their artist series drops where like, if you own a Moonbird in that time, then you can get the artwork that drops in that time mm. period. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, I think rental is interesting. Um, and I think more so I think NFTs that are consumable might be better, right? Where, um, mm, okay. You know, with, with kudos, um, which I know is another project that I haven't talked about that I did, um, with Matt Monday, we made a physical digital NFT and the common, the common use case for a physical digital NFT is you get the NFT, you burn the NFT, you receive the item. What we did was you get the NFT, you go through a claim process and the metadata on the NFT changes and the metadata represents the status of shipping. And if if you think about changing metadata to make something consumable in the same way that you think about like a HP bar that you could put onto an NFT that becomes consumable if you put it into a game, for instance, um, then that becomes really interesting use case for NFTs where something's not rentable, but it's consumable. And I don't quite know, you know, what platform needs to exist to create that or, or how that could work. But I think, um, thinking about the different ways to consume NFTs and renting could be time could be the thing that changes the status of the NFT just as much as, um, as metadata itself. I think, uh, you, you do a good job as sort of like really thinking about not utility, but you like to use the word experiences. Okay. So let's continue on that path. So sort of creating experiences around, um, uh, yeah, collecting something and what sort of gets unlocked uh, once you enter the Black Dave ecosystem. How do you get your ideas for sort of creating experiences around your drops? That was one of the questions that somebody asked on Twitter. For me, it's it's funny because <laughs> I was reading the questions to my girlfriend the other day and she was like, how do you, like, I read it and she was like, well, what's the answer? And I was like, I don't know. I just think, I guess. <laughs> and, it, and it feels like, I think what happens is, and this is another Virgil vibe. Um, you'll, you'll hear me hit a lot of vibes like, like that reference other people. And, and I think there are lots of vibes in art that are the same thing as this. Looking at things that you think are sick and then trying to execute that with your own version is really important to me. Um, when I think about like fan clubs and when I think about especially video games, I think a lot about, I remember explaining NFTs to my mom and saying, okay, you know what Fortnite is and there's a skin in Fortnite. And what if you could sell that skin to somebody else, but only that the person who owned the, the like digital skin could use it in the game. And she was like, Oh, okay. I get it. Mm -hmm. And so like for me, it's always been like trying to find different use cases. Um, but really challenging the idea of what an NFT could be. I actually like, I've had a few like, I don't want to say like confrontations, but like conversations, I'll say. Now I feel like, <laughs> yeah. And about like the type of work I make and then it's all anime referential and they're like, aren't you just stealing other people's ideas? 
And I'm like, sometimes, but I'm also <laughs> like, I think that context matters. And especially like art, right? Like when you think about art, um, putting, a, you know, putting a basketball in in the middle of a museum versus putting a basketball on the basketball court, they have completely different values and you would do completely different things to each of those basketballs, even if they're the exact same ball. Um, and so I think that is, um, is kind of my energy going through this space is just like a ton of reference and a ton of ideas, stuff like that. What's up guys. Sorry for the quick pause, but I wanted to tell you about Bello a new blockchain analytics tool I built that helps Web3 native creators and communities learn more about their collectors and their on-chain behavior. Through a simple search, Bellows Intelligence can help you figure out a price for your NFT drop, show you what other communities your collectors are a part of, and empower you with insights to make confident decisions on how to grow your community. I built Bello with you in mind. So as a creator myself, Bellows helped me make money by finding sponsors for the podcast and allowed me to curate better content for you guys and now it's ready to help other creators too if you're a web3 native creator nft project founder or community manager join the waitlist to try bellow's beta product today by signing up at bellow.lol forward slash join that's b-e-l-l-o dot l-o-l forward slash join all right back to the episode so that's uh that's actually pretty interesting and I think experience can maybe extend beyond uh unlockable content, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, or like token gatedness. I think the experience can sort of extend into the art itself. And something that you did that was very uh experience-based was sort of record a song and mint a song with Snoop Dogg amongst other uh independent artists on sound, which um that was an iconic drop within itself hands down and the fact that you got to participate in that was also even cooler. Can you talk about that entire experience? Um, because I remember when that came out, we were all just like, yo, like that's legit. Like we're certified. Like everybody that's been j- dumping money on NFTs, like Snoop Dogg came in, like, and he's bringing up all these independent artists with him as well to sort of mint this track. Like I just remember it being like a very iconic moment. Um, and you got to be a part of it. Can you talk to me more about that story and share how that came together? You know, it's, Yes. <laughs> so what's crazy about that specific drop was that was Snoop's second drop on sound. His first drop was a mix and then the second drop was a mix. And um, today, actually, they announced Snoop's third drop on sound, which is actually a free mint, which is crazy. Um, but so when Snoop dropped the first mix, I heavily critiqued it publicly on Twitter. I, you know, I remember the first song on the first Snoop mix had Krayshawn on it, who I love. I, I'm obsessed with Krayshawn. I think she's amazing. And um, she was on it and I was looking at it and I was like, man, like, I don't know how the splits are working for this, but knowing like Krayshawn's label situation, um, she had that song Gucci Gucci that was really popular in like 2012. She got pregnant, got dropped from the label, but still owed them a ton of money. Gucci Gucci went viral again in 2021. And she was like, hey, guys, like, thank you. But I still owe my label $800,000. So I get none of that money. And I was thinking about how the blockchain could enable an opportunity for someone like her to be able to get money for her work. And I didn't see any of the splits on chain. They weren't really trackable. And then I complained about that. And then I complained about, um, I won't say complain. I'd recognized an opportunity with that. 
And I had also said something about, well, why doesn't Snoop Dogg add Web3 artists? Like he came into Web3 and he's not going to work with us. And um, David from Sound actually called me and was like, he was like, you make some good points, blah, blah, blah. And so when it came time for Snoop to do a second drop, uh, they pretty much threw the idea at him. It was like, yo, you should add some Web3 artists. And um, and I was at my girlfriend's house. It was like, had to be like midnight, 1230. I might've been just leaving her house. And Iman calls me and is like, yo, Snoop is going to add a few of our songs to the mix. Can you send me a song? And I was like, I'm in my car. I don't have any of my files, but as soon as I get home and I sent two songs over um, and uh, he picked one and threw it on the mix. And so like, and then I think what was even better was like, he took the criticism and then like did everything I said. Right. So he did the mix, added web three native artists to the mix. Um, it was myself, Maruf, Hino and Iman, and then gave us a percent of the sales. And so it's like, you listened to me on like all fronts. And, and like, I think from that moment, I had like a, a really like a new respect for Snoop and Web3. Um, the, my previous Snoop experiences weren't as great. Um, you know, his first drop was, was with crypto.com and that drop was a mess. It, it sold a lot. I think Snoop had made like, like $20 million or something obnoxious through it. And, um, but what happened was it was just such a mess. The customer service was bad. No one understood the blockchain it was on, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and so I kind of was like, Oh, another rapper coming in to make money. And he kept going. And, um, and so when he did that drop on sound, I was like, Oh, Snoop's like really doing this. And I know he was already doing like, and I don't, is it, I guess he, I don't know if he was or wasn't Cosmo de Medici, but like that whole thing. And then like collecting a lot of works and talking about NFTs and stuff like that and really digging in. Um, the sound drop really like, I think was the cherry on top of my respect for Snoop and Web3. That's actually crazy because I remember when that got announced, um, it was like, it was a big moment for the space. Um, and it's so funny how you like, you publicly critique him despite doing a drop with him. Um, and I think you being so vocal and being so honest on your feelings and not sort of keeping that in is sort of what maybe got you or at least kind of contributed to you getting that opportunity. Um, I'm curious as to, is there, are there any more collaborations that are going to be happening between you and him or any other, like, I guess, more mainstream type of artists that are going to be coming into web three. And if not, are there any, are there any artists that you sort of like have on your, maybe like, uh, I guess like wish list? I don't have anything planned. Um, my main focus right now, and I do want to work with more big artists, and I definitely have like a bucket list. Um, someone who's collected NFTs that I really want to work with is Jaden Smith. Um, he's collected a, a couple of sound NFTs. He's picked up a few other NFTs. So he's like in the space. I don't quite know his wallet address or I'm tracking him, but I've heard people say that he's collected their stuff before. Um, that's somebody that I'm super interested in working with. I just think he's like, he's like my favorite rapper in general, but, um, I think cool. Childish Gambino as well is somebody that I really want to work with. Um, Donald Glover. Uh, he, there was a clip of him talking about like NFTs and he was talking about like just the things that blockchain can enable from like, um, an authentication standpoint. So he understands it from the tech perspective. Um, it's really tough, I think, to get mainstream artists to enter the space because, 
um, they have a lot on the line. Like they have a lot at stake when, when they drop in the space, you know, I think the merge is going to help a lot of people on that front when we can start to educate people on the, um, the enhancements to the environmental impact that's through proof of stake. Um, so I'm super pumped for that to happen. And artists who fan bases were complaining about the environment saying, Hey, look, like, um, I think it said the stats said that in, in a one year period, uh, Ethereum will use one twenty sixth of what PayPal uses. And so I'm really excited for that to come to be. Um, I do want to work with more large artists. I think an ultimate cheat code. And I don't know how many industry people listen to your podcast to like steal ideas, but an industry cheat code is exactly what Snoop Dogg did. Call one of us on the ground in web three and do a song with us and let's put it out. And you will be like, it's the easy stamp. I think um, for, for like a, a mainstream artist entering web three and it's probably a lot less paperwork. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, to, you know, it's like, and that was my whole thing with Snoop. Uh, was like meet us where we are don't don't hover over us you know don't don't celebrity yourself in and i think he's done a really great job of that and i think any literally any artist who wants to enter web3 call us <laughs> like just call us call i'll do a record like you know i i know a lot of people would do records with a lot of artists that they look up to so it's about finding that artist and then doing a collaboration with them. And I think that's like the perfect way for almost anyone to enter the Web3 space. I completely agree, like a thousand percent. I think too many mainstream artists overthink it. Um, and I think the best way, like you said, to get a stamp of approval is to sort of lock arms with those who are already doing really well in the space. Because just like Web2 streaming is a completely different beast. The same thing applies to Web3 music, right? Like mm -hmm. there's people who are doing really well in Web3 music that might not see the light of day in, in like across streaming platforms, for example, right? But they've built this like brand. They've built this virality. They've built a collector base and they've generated like hundreds of thousands of primary and secondary sales combined that someone new entering the space that maybe has clout in the streaming side of things might need to sort of latch onto to kind of fit in with the quote unquote cool kids of the web through music scene, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I think you're absolutely right. And we have yet to see another mainstream artist sort of latch on to, to that strategy. I think mainly because there's ego involved, there's pride involved. Um, but I guess what people don't understand that in, in crypto, it's like a, a level playing field. Like there are no rules, like everybody's new here, right? And if you bring your clout and you try to use your clout, it will only get you so far in the traditional world if you try to apply it in crypto right? And Absolutely. at some point, like authenticity is going to kind of like prevail. And people are going to see like whether you're here for like the short term or the long term, despite what happened with crypto.com and, and your opinion around that, like Snoop continuously showed up over and over and over again, right? And came through, came through with consistency. And even now introduced his third, his third drop, and he's probably as mainstream as it can come, right? A and legend. now doing he's also a legend. Stuff with Bored Yacht Club and the whole, yeah, yeah, he killed it. He killed it. And he continues to, to kill it. Uh, he continues to reinvent himself, which is really, really impressive to see, um, especially as uh, as you kind of like join more and more industries, whether it be from like brand deals to acting to now crypto to 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 music to all these different sectors. Yeah, we can we can go all day on Snoop. I want to I want to talk to you about free NFTs because you brought that up during Snoop's drop. And I think it's a great segue um, because you sort of experimented with free NFTs. It's something that I'm very vocal about. I've written a lot about. I've been talking a lot about on the podcast. Um, 
I'd love to get your, your perspective because I know you did a, a free NFT drop. You were the first artist, if I recall correctly, to do a free NFT drop on sound.xyz. Um, it did really well. And the secondaries are actually like really, really popping and even like generated maybe like, I don't know if more, more value than they would have in the primary sale. But yeah, I'll just shut up. What What are your thoughts of free NFTs? Talk to me about that first drop that you did um, and we can just start there. Yeah. So the Freemint meta had just started and um, David at Sound um, does a really good job of like hitting me up and asking me about like trends in the space. I remember at the time he was like, what do you think about them? He was like, I think it could work for music. And I was like, I'm interested to see because, um, you know, you lose out on the primary. And I think one of my actual complaints about music NFTs and especially music NFT pricing is that we price at the max that people are willing to pay. And that kind of um, flattens the music secondary market. So if you think about like the secondary market of music outside of sound, there isn't one, right? Um, but the secondary market of art, there is. And I think that artists aren't pricing at the very edge of what people are willing to pay for something. And that's why. Um, and so, you know, I was just like, okay, let's, let's try it. I was like, I got a song. Let's try it. Like that was literally the conversation. And, um, and I was fine being the guinea pig. And as I thought about it more and more, I thought, okay, cool. This is an opportunity for community to happen. This is an opportunity for people who couldn't get in, especially on sound because of price, um, because that was still when NFTs were all 0.1 Ethereum um, on sound. Then they have an opportunity here. Um, I think it went super well. What one special story about that drop in specific is, um, the person who won the golden egg was, he was in NFTs for about two months. He won my golden egg and sold the golden egg for 0.7. So he got it for free, sold it for 0.75. Shouts out to Cooper. And um, that 0.75 Ethereum was the money for him to fly from Germany to NFT NYC. I think it was his first time in America. He met me at the WaveWorld event and he wow. and he was like, it was crazy. He met me at WaveWorld and he was like, dude, you're the whole reason I'm wow. here. And I was like, oh, dude, I'm pumped you came to see me. You know, like, oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't realize that that's what happened. And <laughs> and um, he was like, yeah, I sold I sold your NFT that I had. And I was like, dude, I'm super pumped that you're able to make money from my work. And uh, and he was like, yeah. And so I'm here. And I was like, well, you can't see me since you sold my NFT. So I got him and all his friends NFTs and they saw my Wave World set. And um, and I didn't realize until like right before my set that he sold it to fly to America. And um, and so like that story sits with me forever. It's definitely one of my like top web three stories one of the greatest things that ha that's happened to me like as an artist in general and uh wow. and so like that made me believe in free mints because what happened was someone who didn't have the point one eth to buy my nft got to create this really special experience not only for him but for me like utility aside like this is a truly special experience that two real people experience together i even said like um one thing that's funny about me is like, I've never smoked weed in my life. I have long dreadlocks. Everyone thinks I smoke weed, but I've never smoked in my life. And, um, I told this, I was like, look, if I ever go on tour in Germany, 
I'll come smoke weed with you. And he's like super pumped and like, I'll probably end up smoking weed with him <laughs> because like he'll remember and like, I'll be like, okay, like this is my first time. So just laugh at me, I guess. So yeah. Dude, that's, that's hilarious. And it's not if you tour Germany, it's when you Absolutely. tour Germany. Right. Um, I'll, I'm a big believer in, in, in manifesting things into reality. Um, I think, uh, like Dave, you, you sort of nailed it. Like, the whole point of my opinion, okay, maybe a hot take, but I think uh, the whole point or at least a big part of sort of having these, these mechanics and being uh, like being open to kind of like publicly selling your work and having secondary markets is so that collectors who support you can have the opportunity to make a buck. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and make, and make some type of financial sort of uh, yeah, I guess like uh, profit in, in, in benefit that extends beyond just kind of enjoying you as a collector or as a creator, excuse me. Now I know people have controversial opinions and like maybe some platform founders don't even want there to be secondary volume around music NFTs because their whole bet is like, this thing is designed to kind of reconnect fans and bring Mm -hmm. them closer together and sort of like bridge the gap of, of uh, your, your, your biggest, most, most passionate listeners. But I think, um, I think, a lot of the fun comes when you're able to share and have experiences like that. And your, your fans are able to sort of like profit, right. And, uh, gain value beyond just like the music that they enjoy from you specifically. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think you nailed the head, like, like being very cognizant of how you price your things and allowing the secondary market to kick in and, uh, and, and sort of like consume some of that value as well and enjoy that value. Well, just like play like so much in your benefit, right. Long-term. Um, so I, I love your perspective on that and I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. I appreciate it. You know, um, to that effect, I, I dropped an NFT that, um, is an open edition that's available until the end of the year and the price is 0.01 Ethereum. And the idea is that, um, of course I'll deliver some sort of experience down the line, but, um, Anyone who wants to get in can get in and price is not the thing that restricts you. You know, it's mostly just your ability to get Ethereum yeah. and get on the blockchain. I think, you know, people are so caught up in making money that they aren't caught up in making communities. And what's happening is people are saying they're creating community, but they're just creating customers. And I really want to find more and more ways to create communities because I think at the end of the day, those are going to be the people in, in, um, the experiences that we have together or individually through my work are going to be the things that, um, keep me around and keep me alive and keep me paid forever, but also keep them satisfied. Like something that I always talk about is like, you know, a ticket to a concert could be a hundred bucks, but people, when they go to the concert, they don't want to try to resell the ticket. You know, they got a hundred bucks worth of experience. And I think as long as you're delivering an experience that's worth whatever the person paid for the thing, they're not even going to have a desire to resell it. It's like keeping a, a ticket stub from a movie, right? Like, um, if, if you, you know, if I think about the, the first date I had with my girlfriend, another Virgil Abloh reference, I went to go see, um, figures of speech in Atlanta. And keeping the ticket from that has value to me. I got the money out of it, whether it's through the date with my girlfriend or through seeing the work. And so I really don't want to sell the ticket because the value, I already captured the value, but having the thing, uh, make, like continues to hold that value for me, no matter how much other people want for it. And I think it's going to be the same thing with music where 
if you have this token and you're able to get the experience, you're going to want to keep it as a, as a memory of that experience. But I think that music NFTs, especially, and I know this isn't a music NFT, but especially PO apps, I believe PO apps are going to be the tour t-shirt of NFTs, like in the, in the music use case, because mm. if, if I'm only making PO apps at mm-hmm. my shows, then you have the shirt that only has the date of that show, theoretically. And it's tradable and it never deteriorates in quality Mm -hmm. and it has, you know, it could possibly have its own utility that comes with having it. I used to um, always make this comment about like if Travis Scott's Astroworld tour, if every date had its own PO app, but then you had to have seven PO apps in order to get a limited edition T-shirt, then what happens is the PO app has a secondary value. And it was the NFT that you got for free just by being there. And I don't think that it has to be like that, but right. I think that it's really cool. And there are going to be people who want, who are going to say, I don't want to get rid of my PO app because I want other people to know that I was at the concert. And there are going to be people that are going to say, I don't care if other people know that I'm at the concert. I want the money. And I think both options are fine. And um, just thinking about continuing to think about experience, delivering experiences is the real thing. And, and, and trying to figure that out at a price point that allows your common fans to be involved and allows people who are willing to spend a bunch of money to be involved is worth it as well. You know, I, it makes me so happy to hear how you sort of talk about uh, your strategy and how you, you sort of like create your own mental models and understanding uh, like different ways to create values uh, or value in general for, for your collectors and kind of recognizing that there is a market for both while I think it, it it may scare a lot of creators, right? That sort of enter Web3, they see the secondary market and they maybe feel pressure that they need to have like high primary and secondary sales to be seen as a success. While partially true, right? You're just like, you're just so open. I can tell like, you're just like, you're like, have a fuck it mentality. You know, like mm-hmm. if something sounds like, if something sounds cool to explore, maybe worth experimenting, like you'll double down, you'll, you'll give it a shot and you'll see what happens. Right. And I think that that energy, that mentality will obviously take you a long way. Um, another thing that's, that's really cool that you brought up earlier is having something for anybody to collect, um, at any point in time, you have an NFT whose timestamp, uh, kind of like expires at the end of the year. And for whatever reason, in case you go viral, right. Or you have a spur of Twitter followers, or you have new type, you have a new level of engagement. A song goes viral, viral, whatever it may be. You have some type of collectible to capture value the second you kind of like hit that mark. Like you're ready. Like you're mm-hmm. you're loaded. You lock. You're locked and loaded. And I love that. And you're the first person that I've sort of seen approach that um, and think that, that far in advance. Um, and I and I really appreciate that. I commend you on that. That's really cool. Thank you. I agree. I think that's the. The goal is, um, like, I, I always want people to have some sort of access. I think um, scarcity matters, but I think openness matters, right? Like, we don't need to hide songs from people, but I also think that a song that only one person can hear is cool. Um, for me, I want to make sure that people who are getting involved or people who want to get involved have an opportunity. Um the the scarcity of assets model that we've been running on is great but it's not sustainable for something that needs to 
play Madison Square Garden for something that needs to perform at Coachella. You know, like I need as many people as possible there if I want to be on the stage at Coachella. I don't want to say like, you know, only if you hold insert NFT, can you show up to my set? Because then I'm limiting myself and, um, and I just really want to be as open as possible. And like, you know, I talked earlier about seasonal NFTs. When, when this time period runs out, that's it. You know, my goal for this drop is a hundred. I'm at about 55, 60 right now. My goal is a hundred. If I get to a hundred by the end of the year, I'll be happy. And what happens is those hundred people, when next season's drop happens and I have a fan base, or collector base of a thousand or 500 or 200 or 300 people are going to want to have that previous season because you better believe I'm going to say, if you have season one and season two, you get something because I think like you're able to play this game of thank you for supporting me early. Or if you want to look like you support Mm -hmm. me early, you got to pay and, and then offering experiences to those people the same way that I was able to with the free mint, the same way that I was able to with the special edition cover of my second music NFT, the same way that I'll be able to do with, you know, sharp whenever that song goes crazy. Um, I just want to like people who support me early, they're always going to be the biggest winners. So I think, you know, crypto rewards you being early. And I want, um, I want myself to be a reflection of that. Yeah. I think another way you sort of build community is through content and, uh, you're very active. Uh, when it comes to writing mirror posts um, and like blog posts, just sharing your thoughts and also like tweet threads that you sort of compose every so often, um, which is not something to sort of take for granted because I think a lot of creators lack the ability to sort of document their process as they're experimenting, as they're creating, right? Can you mm-hmm. walk me through how you find the balance between documenting your process and sharing your thoughts versus like creating music, dropping NFTs, and sort of like, yeah, thinking about the whole, uh, I guess, monetization side of using these these crypto primitives as a creator. Something that Gary V once said, he says it a lot because he says everything he says a lot. That's what he does. But um, <laughs> like he says, I can tell you everything that I do every day and 95% of you aren't going to do it. So why not share it, right? If there's a benefit for me being giving of my information and my knowledge, why not? Most of you aren't going to use it anyway. And I'm not competing with you anyway, right? The only person that I'm really competing with is myself. I say that right now, but I literally compare myself to people all the time. But um, like, that's the whole idea behind it. I think, you know, I've given away enough ideas in Twitter spaces, in clubhouse rooms, in threads, on podcasts, et cetera, et cetera, that could probably build people really profitable businesses, which I'm cool with because I know that I can keep coming up with ideas and I can keep doing things and, and there's always new information to be gotten. And I, I just want to be like um, a beacon of that information. And then I think on top of that, something that I've learned about th- you know, Web3 and NFTs, I'm trying to stop saying space, the space. Um, I haven't figured out a proper word yet, but something that I've learned about being in this in this world is like <laughs> people resonate with 
like you being for real and you not trying to sell me on stuff. And so me just coming in and saying, Hey, I'm Dave. These are the things that I'm doing. These are the hardships I'm facing. These are the positives I'm having. Uh, this is what I'm thinking about. This is how I'm thinking about. I tweeted earlier before this space, before this space, before this podcast. Um, I said, you know, reminder, genius isn't what you know, but it's how you think about things. It's how you think through things. And I really think that that's the thing. And, and I like, I almost turned that into a thread because like, uh, I always make this joke to my friends that I'm a genius and that I took the test to be a genius. And, um, when I was in like elementary school, especially, um, I had moved a bunch of times, but I was always in like those special student programs and all of those tests that you take have nothing to do with knowledge, right? They, they hand you a bunch of shapes and say, build this thing. They show you something and say, move this from here to here, following these rules, do this, do that. If I have this, how do I get to that? And, and taking that test and then them being like, Oh, you know, Dave's mom, I think your son's a genius, like, um, made me realize that genius isn't what you know. Genius is how you think. And if I can share that with other people and hopefully inspire genius within them, knowing that genius isn't what you know, but it's how you think, then that's really sick. And, um, one of my biggest goals as an individual and as a creative is to inspire other people. So like, if someone ever comes up to me and says like, Dave, you inspired me, like that's, that's the day I can go to sleep like right then. So yeah. Hmm. Would you would you consider yourself a genius? Uh I like to say I am, but um I try not to say I am like with a serious tone. So like my friends are like, "You guys know I'm a genius. I took the test." But I did take the test. I really took the test. Um so I don't know if genius is the right thing. I definitely um I have an appreciation for how I think about things and I think that the way that I think about things is going to allow me to create great things and, and be remembered as a great person. I'm like, um, another like blockchain thing is like legacy. And I think that like what I'll leave to the world, even if it is just through art is going to be really, really important. Um, in the same way that I think what Virgil Abloh left behind, um, in terms of what inspires me is, uh, really important. How do you think you build legacy on chain? So, and the reason I, I, I emphasize on chain is because we are so consumed in crypto culture, but there's going to be a wave and a generation of users that sort of haven't experienced the moments in the time uh, that we're sort of living through, right? But there still needs to be a way to sort of like prove pro- provenance, right? History, legacy, et cetera. How would you measure legacy uh, on chain? What does that look like exactly? something another tweet dave tweets <laughs> in this episode of dave's tweets um like <laughs> i i tweeted um a lot of people so i guess for context um mint songs the platform is going through its sort of shutdown phase and um they closed their minting and they're just you know shutting down they migrate all their nfts etc cetera, etc cetera. i said people who migrated their NFTs off of Mint songs have ruined the provenance of the NFT and have such ruined the value because there's no longer proof that you minted on a defunct platform. I think 
what's going to happen. And a lot of artists, I think in, re- in response to this tweet, a lot of artists don't understand what provenance is, right? They don't understand that the trail of who collected, who held for how long and when really matters. Um, I think one way that I was explaining it to someone is that the ultra rich, they buy art as a status symbol, as a flex, the same way that we buy NFTs, right? People want to own art because a Rockefeller previously owned that art. People want to own art because uh, an institution previously owned that art. There's something to be said about the impact of who owned something for how long, how much they paid for it, and how much you paid for it. And I think that in the long term, especially as the chain becomes easier to read and easier to translate, there are going to be a lot of people who are going to be able to quickly look at something and be like, hey, did you see that Dave sold this NFT as a fraction of 42 people and this was that song? And then they sold it after the song blew up and that story is the legacy. Or people will say, did you know that that person got it for free and and that person is now this person and when they sell it, it's going to be worth money or because it's an addition piece, then everyone who owns that automatically has an inherent increased value because a cool person also owns that. It's kind of like um, when celebrities wear a certain clothing brand and that clothing brand pops off. I think, you know, when you look at the long term history of that brand, I think here's a great example. Black Scale, the clothing brand, um, when Mega, the guy who founded Black Scale, talks about the brand, he says there's pre-ASAP Rocky and there's post-ASAP Rocky. And he uses that as a reference point for the brand. And so the legacy of Black Scale has ASAP Rocky included. The legacy of ASAP Rocky has Black Scale included. And they both are like huge pivot points um, and really important. And I think that ASAP Rocky's involvement in Black Scale will always contribute to the value of Black Scale. And then if you're in streetwear first, then the value of ASAP Rocky will always be um, valuable because he was involved with Black Scale, something that you place a lot of value in. So I think Providence is is the the thing that we won't think anything about for a long, long time because it doesn't actually matter for a long, long time. We do it in small amounts, right? Like um, when Pranksy bought 1,200 Bored Apes, which I think was the actual catalyst to Bored Ape Yacht Club selling out. Um, like when he bought 1,200 Apes, there are what we call Pranksy Apes out there. And so owning an ape that Pranksy owned has a value to it. Whether that's value positive or negative, it has a value to it. And Pranksy's legacy is going to be tied to 1,200 apes. And the legacy of Board Ape Yacht Club is always going to be tied to Pranksy if you believe the theory that I believe that Pranksy buying, you know, one one eighth of the supply of Board Ape Yacht Club is what pr- pushed them to sell out in the last few days. Um, yeah, so provenance matters. People just don't see it yet. Wow. That's uh, that's really well put. That's really really well put. I haven't I haven't thought about that. Um, I guess I I when I sometimes when I collect stuff, I sort of look at who else bought it, but I've never went back in time to kind of further analyze and and peel through the layers of seeing who who's bought this from the get go, right? Like mm-hmm. I've never when I collected something, I never sort of thought like this is a a, a blockchain Brett NFT or this is a Cooper 
uh, music NFT, right? Mm-hmm. Um, assuming these guys never sell their, their music NFTs, but it actually makes a lot of sense um, when you kind of use the analogies comparing it to the fashion brand and ASAP Rocky and how they sort of uplift each other's legacies as they kind of evolve over time. Um, I think that's a really, really interesting perspective. I'm curious before we sort of wrap up, Black Dave, because I feel like we've been going like for about like what, like an hour and 15 minutes now. I think it might be the longest, one of the longest episodes of the season. Yes. What other things are on your a are on your radar right now um, that you think people should be sort of like paying more attention to um, that you're maybe thinking about that you haven't maybe talked about publicly yet? Uh, fill me in on that. Most immediately on the front of my mind is um, enhancing what service based NFTs look like. Um, I'm soon going to be coming out with a platform slash idea that's specific to me. So it's not quite a platform. It's a platform for me, but I'm thinking about trying to build it maybe as a platform other people can use called minutes where you mint NFTs that allow you a certain amount of minutes with someone, Um, whether that's minutes in consultation, whether that's minutes in you playing your music for someone, whether that's minutes in advisement or anything, and you would mint an NFT that then granted you token-gated access to schedule meetings on my calendar. Um, that's something that's like front of mind for me because I'm literally building it. I hope to announce it in the next week or so, but consider this the announcement. <laughs> um, and so I, I'm going to be doing that soon. That's really important. Let's to me. go. Let's um, go. We got, we got Black Dave's product launch on Mint. I love it. All right. Yeah. Going. So <laughs> that, that's like, that's really front of mind for me is how do we continue to enhance the service economy of NFTs? Um, second to that, something that I have seen, um, and I think these are the only people doing it. E-commerce completely run through smart, smart contracts. Um, the, the quantum tech team, um, they created something called rug supply. It's rug dot supply, where if you have one of a bunch of different NFT projects, you can get a rug of your NFT and, um, you pay for it in USDC. You get a, um, you get a soulbound token that is your receipt and the soulbound token updates with like shipping confirmation. You can actually take a picture of your rug when you get it and put it on the corner of the receipt, which is a soulbound token. I think that that's really, really cool. I think like, you know, blockchain, and this is what Donald Glover was saying, blockchain is proof of receipt is, is gonna help with, um, fraud detection. You know, and I think in the same way that you think about, did you mint this from that smart contract or that smart contract is the same thing. And so I think that that's really important. Um, enhancing the physical to digital experience. Um, I think it's going to be really important as well. I think burn to claim should, um, find a way to exit existence. And then I think lastly, looking at gaming and NFTs. I think a lot I have I have a couple of game ideas that I want to try to put into the ether and and play with. Um and then I have one more. Curation. I've been thinking a lot about curation um just like for everybody listening hopefully in sort of three methods. Um 
the idea of curation from like a centralized stance where like platforms let artists in. And if a platform has that artist on it, then that's sort of their, like their sign, like uh, that, like we rock with them thinking about um, community based, like fully like community based um, curation where like, I really want to build a platform where, and I've been DMing people about this, but I'm just going to put it out there. And if someone builds it great, where, you can put an NFT up and then people can rate that NFT and comment on that NFT, whether it's a song, whether it's an artwork, whether it's a collection, whether it's um, like, let's say, for instance, you know, ASCII, for instance, like if someone could go to the ASCII collection and rate it and then leave comments on what they think about it, kind of like uh, like Amazon reviews. But then people can go to specific ASCII NFTs and say, this one has three out of four of the same traits as that one. So one star, you know, or this one has, this is the only one that has a, a red shirt and this hairstyle, five stars or whatever. I think that that could be a really interesting way of curation, even along the lines of music. This is Dave's best song, five stars. I think Dave has better songs than this, two stars. I think Dave shouldn't have used this word. I think the production is great, but the lyrics are weak. I think that that's going to be a really big thing that, um, that allows, um, the the mass influencers to lose power i think decentralization has an opportunity to give power to people to individuals and if individuals can use a tool to um to empower themselves in mass then i think that's really going to change the face of the space it makes you wonder if if your favorite NFT artist is your favorite NFT artist because of the work or because of what an influencer said about it and if the influencer is the, is the only person who feels that way about it, then you can realize that you're being gamed by an influencer and, and have a different feeling on the work or at least approach it from your own individual perspective. And so I really want to create some sort of platform that empowers individuals in their opinions. And, um, and hopefully like we get, you know, true critics, right? Like real art critics show up and say, you know, I study 3D artwork. I study generative artwork and I believe this. And then you can go to their profile and see all the generative artwork they've reviewed and really have like a, like people who are becoming, um, influential because of their taste, because taste matters so much. Another Virgil Kanye like path. I think taste is so important. Um, so those. All of those things are front of mind. And then um, just empowering and enhancing the community for Kudos, um, K-O-O-D-O-S, which um, is an NFT that I dropped with Matt Monday that dropped the same week as Headless Chaos. So it didn't sell well, but um, we're still pushing forward and trying to get that out as, as far as possible. You have really quality ideas uh, and I'm getting incredibly stimulated just uh, just listening to you sort of like think through these problems and how you could sort of solve them. Um I'm so upset I haven't had you on the podcast earlier. I'm really happy we did this episode. Uh, we're going to have to run it again very soon. But before yes. I let you go, Black Dave, where where can we find you? Where can we learn more? Where can we stay up to date? Shill it away. Um, I am at Black Dave on Twitter. Uh, I am Black Dave, Black Dave on Instagram um, and also on TikTok. I promise I'm going to start using TikTok. Everyone's yelling at me. Um, you can head to blackdave.xyz. 
um, to check me out, especially on the Web3 side. And then also BlackDaveBlackDave.com to check out um, some of my music. And then I'll be posting also a lot of my other work because um, I am a multidisciplined creative person. And so I'll be showing more of my photo work, more of my video work, um, more graphic design, et cetera, et cetera. So um, feel free to follow me on Twitter. I, um, I'm most active there. Amazing. Um, thanks again. We'll have to do this again soon, but yes. Till next time. Thank you, man. What's up guys. Thank you for listening. If you've gotten this far, then you are a champ and I owe you a free listener pin. Go to adamlevy.io forward slash NFT, fill in your info, and I'll distribute the NFT towards the end of the season. By collecting your pin, you prove your contribution to the season and get exclusive access to content, allow lists, and more. So be sure to collect yours. Also, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. This helps me out so much. And finally, hit me up on Twitter at LevyChain. I want to hear what you're building, the latest crowdfund you're trying to complete, or if you simply want to chat. I love talking about where crypto meets the creator economy, and it's no different if it's coming from you directly. So thanks again for your support. It means the world, and I'll see you on the next episode.